wasn't even in detox. They took me to the psych ward because of how I was acting and the things that were going on in my head. And um, I remember having a spiritual experience in there. Uh, I, I when I first got in there, I was only a couple hours, you know, in, and I was sitting there in those hard plastic chairs at Community Bridges and. You know, this guy gets comes busting through the door on a stretcher. He's strapped down, and he's literally, you know, shouting at the devil, man, like completely 100% insane from drugs and alcohol. And I, I had this, like, moment of clarity, you know, like, that could be me. You know, this guy's off to an insane asylum due to drugs and alcohol. And uh, it scared the shit out of me, you know. And I... I uh, I had another just all those thoughts of AA and what if what if these people are right man you know what if there is a god that can be you know personal to me of my own conception that I can live by and you know it's obviously working in other people um and something had to have happened to me in there because I remember leaving uh I had a wallet I had a phone I convinced them to let me leave after I could blow you know under a certain amount under .08 or whatever and they let me go and uh I was walking down Mesa Drive, you know, I walked about five miles, probably farther, all the way to, you know, Brown and Mesa Drive, and uh, there's a bunch of liquor stores down there, there's a bunch of things, there. I had a phone, I could have done all these things, but, you know, I had a feeling of hope, you know, a feeling of, of, you know, this is what I need to do, and I remember getting to my dad's house, and, uh, him being in the program, he wasn't home, but I got to my dad's house, and his big book was sitting on the couch, you know, and uh, he didn't throw it at me. He didn't tell me you need to read this. It'll save your life. He just simply put it in a place where I can see it, you know, and I remember feeling absolutely horrible, still shaking, still withdrawing from alcohol and drugs, and I sat on his couch, and I read Bill's story for the first time, and I never read Bill's story, and it was like the first time in my life, man, that I could see the similarities between me and another person. Like, alcohol had me completely defeated at this point to where I was ready and open to try something new. And I started reading, and it's like, I knew, I, I joke, like, I'm an alcoholic, you know, that's why I drink the way I do, you know, leave me alone. But once I read Bill's story, it, it hit me like a lightning bolt, man. Like, I knew that I was an alcoholic, and this is probably the only answer for me. Um, later that week, you know, um, actually, the next morning, my dad took me to an AA meeting, and uh, something happened in that meeting too, man. I was sitting there, and people were coming up to me saying, "Man, you look like you look like garbage, dude. You you should probably be here," <laughs> you know. And I'm like, "Wow!" And I saw these people that are happy, and these people that are laughing and talking. I remember this old lady, older lady, uh, sharing. You know, she had like 30 some odd years sober, and she was telling my story, man, and. Something hit me in that meeting, that very first meeting, like, there's got to be something bigger than me going on here, you know? I, I felt that that defeat, man. I felt like, you know, I know now is, is God entering my life. And it's funny because I, I did not know that that last day that I got drunk was going to be the last day that I drank, you know, at that time, you know? Coming into the rooms of AA and, you know, really surrendering myself to something new, and pushing aside all these driving forces of my life and, you know, ready to try something different, you know, were really what got me started. I remember getting a sponsor that next, that same week, about three or four days sober, I went to this meeting, um, this accountability, 
accountability lineage meeting and I sat there uncomfortable in this circle of guys, you know, who were talking about God and talking about how they stayed sober that week. And um, when the meeting was over, you know, this this guy, you know, Kevin approached me and looked me in the eyes and said, I'm your sponsor and you're going to call me tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, you know, and from there, you know, we got busy. Um, that man is still my sponsor today. Uh, I still call him on a daily basis. I still clean house from the last 24 hours, you know. And over the course of time, he has become more of a, you know, a spiritual advisor. I want what this man has still three years later. And, uh, you know, calling and talking to him about where I'm falling short with God for today is more of how our conversations look. You know, coming into AA, you know, wanting to stay sober we we just i just wanted a solution right and uh i was willing to do anything for that solution and you know in doing the work just how it's outlined in the big book you know is unapologetically about building a relationship with a god of your understanding and uh that's what i have today you know and i, I wouldn't have those things without the way all these things fell into place, you know, from from detox to to um, going to that first AA meeting to meeting Kevin to to doing the work, you know. And it was at a point where I was like, you know, I'm gonna do whatever you say, man. You know, like I I had to realize that I don't know anything about anything, and that's one of the hardest things for people like like me to admit that I don't know anything, you know. Um, so, I uh, started working the steps with Kevin, and I remember sitting down with him the very first time, and uh, I had this list, right, because I still thought I knew some things of uh, what my sponsor should be. <laughs> you know, yeah, at 15 years sober, yeah, you know, be an alcoholic only, and, you know, got to have this and that. And I remember, you know, sitting down for the first time, and I had this list out, and he grabbed it from me, and, he, and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, well, this is what I think my sponsor should be. And he, he crumpled up that piece of paper, and he threw it in the trash. And he ended up, you know, only having, you know, five, six years sober at the time and being a crystal meth addict. And uh, I'd never done crystal meth, so I, I, it just shows, right, that the solution that AA provides, you know, is, is you know, for drug addicts, for alcoholics, and, you know, like I said at the beginning of, of hey, but hold on, let me, excuse me, I don't want to interrupt you, but you literally had a list of your expectations of what your sponsor should be like. Yeah, I'm insane. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. That's the first time I heard anything like that. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, completely insane. Yeah, I remember uh, he looked at it and he laughed and he uh, crumpled it up and he threw it away. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. And it's proven to be, man, you know, I don't know anything. That's another sign to show me that I don't know anything about anything, you know, uh, a crystal meth addict helping a, an alcoholic, you know, and uh, taking me through the work and just exactly the way the big book describes it, you know. And uh, um, I remember, you know, getting to steps two and three, you know, and, uh, you know, coming to believe in a, in a power greater than myself you know, of my own conception was was not an easy thing for an agnostically inclined person like myself before coming into AA. Um, I uh, 
Kevin looked at me and uh, when we were doing step two and he simply just said, well, do you believe that I believe? You know, and that hit me hard because I'm like, this dude has told me some of his story and he's been sober for a while. And I mean, I have nothing left to do but believe that you believe. And, you know, at the time it seemed a lot easier to go home and hit my knees and pray to something that I don't understand um, and ask for help than it did to go back to the way I was living. Um, so then, you know, getting to step three, I remember, you know, calling all these guys and reading part of the book to them, and that was really uncomfortable. I remember that. You know, but it shows me that even sober, how I can live in this world as an actor, you know, trying to control the whole show. And when you break that down, you know, it talks about in the book, the lights, the scenery, the ballet. You got to think about it. The lights have several people doing the lights and then they have a, a guy directing the lights. So that when you break it down, how many things that I'm trying to control in my life to, in order to go the way that I think it should go, you know, no wonder why I'm, uh, I'm uh, never satisfied. No wonder why I think that, you know, life doesn't treat me right. So getting to step three and really turning my life and my will over to God, you know, was a turning point for me, you know, and it talks about if we stay close to him and perform his work well, he will provide everything we need. And that has proven to be true for me in these last three years. You know, what it's really talking about is, you know, having the spiritual awakening and carrying this message to other alcoholics and drug addicts that might be suffering. And that's what I try to do today, you know, and, and put God in AA first, you know, and getting to the fourth and fifth step you know I uh, remember being scared man I had a lot of stuff on there that you know I thought I was very special very different very uh, no one's done this you know and uh, I remember sitting down with Kevin after I'd written it all and, and, and I know step three it had an effect on me because anytime I tried to leave something out of my fourth step it would bug me all day and God would be in my ear like you need to write that down or you're going to get loaded you need to write that down and you're going to get loaded and I was like alright and as soon as I'd write it down you know God would be like good you know that's good and I remember sitting down man and going through all this stuff and being like alright I'm going to try this one you know I'm going to start off with this and see how he reacts you know and I remember doing that through the whole thing and every single thing I thought I was special or different or no one had done and um Kevin could relate. Kevin could, uh, he just sat there and said, you know, didn't say anything actually. He just sat there and nodded his head and, all right, what's next? And, you know, and it really crushes that, you know, that pride and that ego that we have of thinking that we're different or thinking that we're special. And We all think we're different. Our story is different. We're special. We matter more than somebody else. Yeah, my sponsor always breaks me down and, you know, wakes me up really yeah and then uh you know the book talks about going home uh and spending an hour with god and i've i've had sponsees and i've even used to ask this question you know when does a spiritual awakening happen you know and to me i've had several spiritual awakenings in the process of working these steps but the really biggest one that i ever experienced was finishing that fifth step, being 100% honest and coming home and sitting at this table that me and James are actually sitting at right now and uh, feeling the closeness of my creator, you know, feeling all that weight lifted from me and being able to look the world in the eyes and be at perfect peace and ease with myself, you know, knowing that I had nothing else to hide. And that was my true time I ever felt God's presence, man. And uh, from there, it just, it just blossomed into you know 
continuing to do the work. You know, I remember six and seven, we started getting down to causes and conditions and him handing me this list of this front and back piece of paper that was just so many character defects, man. And I looked at it and I, I couldn't deny a single one of them, you know. And then uh, going on to eight and nine, I remember making some amends that were very uncomfortable. Um, I've had the door slammed in my face, you know, I've had... You know, people tell me that they don't ever want to talk to me again. And, you know, what the book is talking about in those times is, you know, we've done our part. We made our demonstration. You know, if I'm willing to make these things right and I put forth the effort and the demonstration to to try to make these things right, you know, that's all I can do. But I've also had some amends that went over just like the book talks about. Nine out of ten, nine out of ten times, it, the unexpected happens, right? Somebody you thought hated you, you know, admits his faults and years of feuds just vanish in an hour you know and that's when those promises really started coming true man you know um while the book talks about you know financial insecurities fear of people fear of all these all these things started to fall for me and then getting into 10 11 and 12 you know starting to take daily inventory starting to call dudes when i mess up starting to make things right you know if i'm like talking to a friend and i lie to him because i want to sound cool you know i need to go back and i need to make that right and like i lied when i was talking about this and it's when those little changes started happening that you just continuously grow with god you know and really start working step 11 um doing nightly inventories you know praying and meditating and uh really trying to seek god and to know him better you know um and what I've learned through the years of, you know, being sober is uh, my disease doesn't go anywhere, man. I, I, uh, my pride and my ego can, can rebuild itself and be right back to where it is. And I can start thinking that I know some shit about something, you know, and it, it ends up getting me in trouble, you know. So to remain teachable and to remain humble in this program and in life in general has, has been something that I need to work on on a daily basis, you know, and then step 12, having had the spiritual awakening and, you know, carrying this message to other alcoholics and, uh, you know, practicing these principles in all my affairs, you know, that that's the hardest part about step 12 is practicing all these principles in all of my affairs. That means, you know, I need to, the same way that I'm at the podium sharing at a meeting needs to be the same person I am when I'm at home with my kid and the same same person I am when I go to lunch with my grandma you know and the same kind of person when I'm hanging out with my girlfriend these all need to be in all of my affairs you know and you know for the first year of sobriety I, I didn't really understand what that what that was talking about you know and I, I gotta get in enough pain and I gotta get in enough you know um emotionally tangled up inside before I'm ready to change man and uh about a year and a half sober went through the work again and I, I continued to do this work man I continue to seek helping guys I continue to go through the steps on a daily basis because when I do step 10 I'm really doing four through nine you know when I do step 11 I'm really doing one two three and 11 you know when I'm doing step 12 I'm fulfilling those promises in step three when I'm performing his work well um but yeah man it, it's been a uh, quite a journey dude and uh part of the book talks about you know i wouldn't trade you know the best moments of getting loaded for the worst i have now and that, that's proven to be true there's a lot of problems that i could still create in my head right which most of the time my feelings don't match the facts you know and that's part of my disease man and the only answer to that is to continue to do this work and to seek god on a daily basis and 
turned my will and my life over to him and it's just crazy dude the things that God has done for me that I couldn't do for myself I was about five months sober and uh, I got offered a job to teach high school um, you know and coming from a dude like me man um, that that doesn't happen <laughs> you know um, and it's about I'm going into my fourth year teaching you know over at uh, high school in Mesa and uh, teaching culinary the stuff that I love to do and you know, I have this uh, relationship with my son today, you know, and I want to share a couple things about that, um, about how God truly is in everything, you know. Um, my son is about to turn seven. Um, I just got to see him, you know, graduate kindergarten, and I was present and I was aware of that, and I was able to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally there for him for that. Um, there's things like walking into Fry's and uh, him being in the cart and walking by the liquor aisle and him looking at me and saying, you know, Daddy, I'm really glad you don't drink anymore. And or like being at Circle K and um, him going up to the line and there'll be somebody in front of us with a case of beer and he'll go up to the lady and he'll be like, my daddy doesn't drink anymore, you know. And it's, that's the kind of blessings that I get to experience today, man. Um, being present, being able to be a father, being able to be, you know, the man that God wants me to be, all due to, you know, for me, was Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and uh, it's not a one and done thing, man. I got to continue to grow. I got to continue to expand spiritually. Um, I gotta continue to have my hand out, you know, ready to help other guys, um, and remain teachable. You know, that's something that I've learned in year three of my sobriety is I need to re remain teachable, dude. And that, and that means, you know, constantly checking my motives, constantly seeing where I'm at, um, constantly working 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis and staying spiritually fit because, even with some time sober, we can slip back into that, to those bedevilments that the book talks about very, very quickly, which looks, the bedevilments in the book are what, you know, life looks like for me without God, when I'm running on my own thoughts and my own self, and, uh, you know, it can be a really ugly place even in sobriety. Um, but, you know, I guess... I just want to thank James again, man, for having me on here. I don't even know how long I've talked or... Uh, you weren't even on. It's like, what, 39 minutes? No. No. Yeah, but it's all good, man. Like, you know, your story can really inspire and help other people. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to it or, you know... I guess I just want to say, you know... If you're out there, you know, and you're struggling, there's a lot of people out there that don't have an answer or have tried, you know, several ways to to get sober. Um, and with my experience, not saying it's the only way, but there are people that can that can help you, man. And there are there are ways to not live the life that we're living, um, or that we were living, or that we can't help but live. Um, there is 
a freedom and a happiness and a peace of mind out there for everyone that is suffering from drug and alcohol addiction. Um, my path was, was through AA, um, which was the only thing in my drinking career and my drug career that could ever keep me sober. And um, I, just, I just truly want to thank you know God for AA. And I truly need to thank AA for God because before AA there was no God in my life, a God that I can understand, a God that I could relate to, a God that I can communicate with, you know, a loving and forgiving God, right? Who knows that I'm not perfect and who knows that I need help and who knows that, you know, as long as I'm willing to, you know, to seek him and to do his will, that, uh, He'll, he'll provide and he'll take care of me and we don't have to live in that in that drug addict insanity in those in those withdrawing those uncomfortable you know patterns of life so and it's never too late you could be 15 years old or 55 85 whatever if your life has become un- unmanageable because of drugs and alcohol hey you can make that change all it is is one choice your whole destiny can change with one choice yeah it's it's beautiful man like I didn't even know like I was saying like I think God chooses you know the path that we all take and knowing in my experience there were several times that I know now was God um, where he tried to get me sober and he tried to show me the truth and he tried to show me but I was too stubborn and too self-centered and too selfish in order to listen, you know, and I had to be beaten into this state of reasonableness in order to accept, you know, God's plan and God's will for me. But God truly does things for us when we are when we want him enough, you know, that we can never do for ourselves. And just like James was saying, there is a way out, man. There it's never too late and uh yeah, reach out, you know. Get the help you need. I want to thank you, Richard, for sitting down with me and uh, telling your story, sharing it with the world, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Of course. It's always an honor and a privilege to speak. All right. My name is uh, Richard. Adams. I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. My sobriety date is April 3rd, 2018. My sponsor's name is Kevin Gill. Uh, My home group is called The Recipe. It's a CMA meeting at the Alano Club in Mesa. Uh, My service commitment is I take a meeting into Unhooked. It's a big book study on Friday nights, and I sponsor a few guys. Um... I guess, first of all, I'd like to thank you, James, for uh, having me on this podcast. Um, A lot of what I'm going to share about is very personal to me and my experience with recovery. Um, So, I guess we'll just start off at the beginning. Um, I grew up here in uh, Mesa, Arizona, born and raised. Um, I had a pretty normal childhood, man. I... uh, grew up with, you know, loving parents, uh, anything a kid could ever have, and, um, you know, I just, uh, had, 
you know, the life every kid has ever wanted, you know, and so looking back, you know, on my childhood, there were things that I didn't really realize at the time that I now know what they were, um, you know, coming into AA and, uh, you know, learning about alcoholism and the disease that I have, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to why I felt the way I did and, you know, the, the things that I thought in my brain and the ways that, you know, um, I reacted to life, you know, even from a young kid. Um, so when it, when, when we learn about, you know, the three parts of our disease, right, we have a, um, a physical allergy to drugs and alcohol, meaning, you know, when I put drugs in my body, when I drink alcohol, I develop this craving, you know, that I can't satisfy. And, uh, um, the second part being is when I'm sober and I try to stay sober on my own willpower for a while, I develop a mental obsession to where I'm going to justify, rationalize any reason why it's okay for me to get drunk. And the third part being the spirituality, and that's that's the thing that I can relate to, you know, going way, way back. You know, as a kid, I always felt like I wasn't good enough, you know. I was always comparing, you know, my insides to other people's outsides and, you know, never thought um, what I had was, was good enough or that I was good enough as a person. You know, an example of that is, you know, walking into school uh, on the first day of school in a brand new year, and walking into the classroom and, you know, kids are laughing over here and kids are giggling over here and my brain tells me that they're laughing about me, you know, and I instantly, you know, feel separated, you know, feel different, feel off, um, you know, and I can relate to that feeling all the way through my life, you know. Um, when I was about 15, I remember it was the summer of before ninth grade, um, I remember we stole some some weed from one of our friend's dads, and uh, I got high. You know, I remember, <clears throat> you know, sneaking around the back of the house and uh, making a bong out of whatever and, and, you know, getting high for the first time. And what happened was it took me out of all those uncomfortable feelings. You know, I finally felt like I, I, I fit in. You know, I finally felt like when I talked to my friends that I had some kind of confidence, that I had some kind of, like, power that I didn't have before, some kind of uh, contentment, you know. And uh, that thing happened in my body from that day forward that differentiates me from a normal person, you know. That physical allergy, you know, chasing that feeling started, you know, when I was 15 years old. Um, I... Uh, started smoking pot every day, every chance that I could get, and uh, it made me feel like I was cool, right? Like I was a part of, you know, everyone else, you know, and those feelings on the inside finally could be covered up by something, and I felt like I can uh, be accepted. So I chased that, you know, for a long time, and I remember, you know, by the time 10th grade hit, um, I was introduced to cocaine, and I was fell in love instantly <laughs> you know I uh, remember you know nights of being in 10th 10th grade man sitting in my room all by myself you know snorting lines of coke and just uh, I, I couldn't stop right and you know it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm on the phone with my coke dealer you know trying to get more when I got to be to school in the morning 
you know, and that's that's the phenomenon of craving in my body, right? I can't just do a couple lines and be done and be content with that. I have to continue to use until until I'm out, until I'm done, until I can't get any more, until I finally pass out or whatever, and you know, wake up the next day with that that restless, irritable, and discontented feeling, and, and I need to chase those drugs again. Um, so from cocaine, um, it was around 11th grade. I was introduced to heroin, and uh, it's it's funny about drug addicts and alcoholics, man, because I remember the first time I did heroin, I uh, I got really really sick. I remember sitting in the room and you know snorting this nasty stuff and uh, running to the bathroom and throwing up all over the place, you know, feeling sick like I was gonna die, man. And I remember washing my hands and wiping my face off and walking right back in that room and wanted more, you know, which to a normal person probably sounds insane, you know, but to me, you know, that was the only way. I, I, I triggered again yet that phenomenon of craving that I need more. And then I was off and running with, with heroin, dude, uh, from about um, 16, 17 years old till um, I was almost 20, I was uh, doing heroin every day and I would do anything that I could do to get that heroin I would miss work I would steal from my parents I would steal from friends family members um, panhandle on the corner for gas when I don't even have a car um, and it was at a very young age man chasing chasing that feeling to, to take away that spiritual malady um, that I suffered from you know um, and heroin took my soul dude um, you know I remember the, the feeling of um, just complete defeat, you know, from, from heroin at such a young age. And um, I remember, you know, seeing that I had a problem with this. Um, so there was one day I, I, I couldn't get any. I went to a family birthday party or something like that, and uh, my mom picked me up really early. And uh, obviously I couldn't get the dope that I needed for that day and uh, I remember breaking down to my mom and telling her what's going on and for a 19 year old kid to break down to your mom with something like that it uh, it was uh, it was a pretty uh, devastating uh, realization for my mom to, to know what I was doing because I was very good at you know hiding these feelings and hiding these symptoms and you know what's funny about our disease and this is probably I'm kind of going off topic and moving back a little bit but the way that these drugs control our mind is is crazy because I remember times where I was so sick, you know, and uh, I was so withdrawing and, you know, just the second that I would get a phone call or the second that I would get a text message saying that the dope is there and I can come get it, all those physical feelings would go away. So it wasn't even, you know, a lot of the drugs that were doing that it's that it's that spiritual malady it's that it's that spiritual crux that we're in because the second that my mind knew that I was going to go get it all those physical sensations would go away you know and and that's just the power that drugs had over me the power that you know drugs had over my life but yeah back to I broke down to my mom you know and uh she said, all right, let's get you help. And I remember, I got to tell this funny part of the story because I remember she uh, took me home to her house. You know, she took away everything. She took my car keys. She took all these things and pretty much locked me in one of the rooms in her house. And uh, I remember her being on the phone with a, with a drug counselor, right? 
and uh, he was just a drug counselor. He was not a recovered drug addict. He was not, you know, anyone in recovery. He just, you know, studied people like us. Um, but I remember her saying, like, you know, him saying, you know, that, that these withdrawals can be bad, right? That, you know, you need to get him, you need to get him some something for them. And I remember, you know, him saying, but the Suboxone Clinic is, uh, so yeah, I remember, you know, my mom being on the phone with this drug counselor, and he was telling her, like, well, you got to get him some, some heroin, you know, because these withdrawals are bad, and my eyes lit up like a kid in a candy store, man, and all those withdrawal symptoms went away for a minute, and, uh. I remember my mom being like, you know, F you, and hung up the phone, and I was back into full withdrawal. So again, you can see the power, you know, that drugs have over over our bodies and our minds, man. And, you know, I got on a Suboxone uh, maintenance for that, you know, and uh, did that for about four to six months, which uh, actually, you know, it worked. You know, getting off Suboxone was... Uh, was uh was bad you know same kind of withdrawal symptoms but you know what's funny is uh you know god separated me from heroin that day and from from hardcore opiates and that was in 2000 i think 2009 i have not touched you know a hard opiate drug um but what's funny you know is me being the good alcoholic and drug addict that i am you know, I, uh, I just replaced it all. You know, I remember being 20 years old, um, got my life together a little bit. You know, no program, no no counseling, no nothing, you know. But what, what I did was I just replaced one thing with another, and I started drinking alcoholically, you know, from, from that day, even on the Suboxone in those few months. Um, you know, and when I describe drinking alcoholically, it means that I'm 20 years old in my own apartment, and I, and I wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, no clothes on, the whole apartment's trashed, the, the dishwasher's running with nothing in it, There's just the fridge is wide open, the couch is flipped over, and I'm passed out on the floor, you know, waking up having no idea what happened, and I'm just there by myself, you know, and that's how I started drinking, um, you know. So um, moving forward a little bit, you know, I... I didn't have a huge problem and you know I mean I can't say that you know but I'm what I mean by that is like I didn't alcohol wasn't affecting my life you know I could still pay my bills I could still go to work um but at the end of the day you know I'm drinking alcoholically and uh phenomenon of craving would take over and you know I'm say I'm gonna be in bed at 10 and get up for work and I'd end up being up till two, three o'clock in the morning, getting shit-faced and waking up hungover and getting through the day and then waiting for that moment that I can, you know, relax my nerves and calm the restless irritable and discontentedness by another drink. And then it was just a daily thing, you know? Um, so I went on drinking like that, you know, until I was about 25, 26, you know, and those were a lot of good years, man. You know, you can't say that I didn't have good times drinking, can't say that I didn't experience some cool things, you know, um, but after, you know, five or six years of drinking like that, things started getting bad, you know, I started losing jobs because of my drinking, I started, uh, you know, being a really horrible person to the people I love because I was drinking, um, you know, taking advantage of people and, you know, 
just manipulating and justifying and rationalizing all these things in my life and you know I remember it got to a point around 26 um, where I was drinking so much that I was just passing out you know I'd drink like a whole fifth and you know just pass out and I was like man this this sucks so cocaine um, I reintroduced myself to cocaine around that time um, and at that point I was just doing cocaine so that I can you know drink a whole fifth and snort a couple lines of cocaine and be able to stay up the rest of the night to continue to drink um, you know in some of the low spots of that time in my life um, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant with my son you know and uh, I remember being in the hospital, you know, and it was a really long labor. She uh, was, we were there for like three or four days, maybe five days in the hospital. And uh, I would make excuses, you know, to leave. Uh, I need to go do this, I need to go do that. And I would leave and I would get drunk. And I would come back and I'd just be completely shit-faced, you know, looking at her and all this pain and, you know, not being able to be there for her emotionally or, or even physically. Um, and I remember the, the morning that my son was born, uh, the nurse was trying to wake me up, man, and because um, I was passed out on the little sofa or whatever's in the room, and you know I was woken up to my son being born, you know, and uh, you know the the nurse looked at me and she said, "I'm sorry, you you know you're you're too inebriated and intoxicated to hold your son," you know, and it. it things like that man that my alcohol took me into places where there was no no human power could 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 help my drinking right my son being born you know having this new responsibility you know like the big book talks about you know the difference between a real alcoholic and a and a, and a heavy drinker you know heavy drinker with has these reasons why they can quit you know falling in love you know having children you know change of job change of environment they can quit or moderate you know and looking back on my drinking i couldn't quit or moderate for any any reason at all i would just figure out new ways to get drunk and i'd figure out new schedules to make so that i can work everything around me getting drunk um so fast forward a little bit the the last um year or so of my drinking is when I really tried to start quitting. Um, I was introduced to AA because um, my dad was in the program and uh, I saw him staying sober and he drank just the way I did. We used to drink together, we used to party together and you know we would uh, drink the same way and I saw him staying sober and at that time I was you know doing this to stay sober and I'd stay sober 30 days and then convince myself what alcoholic can go 30 60 days without drinking and then I would celebrate you know the 60th day with a fifth of vodka and uh, when that was done I'd be back at the cocaine dealer's house and then I'd be back at the bar and I'd be doing things that I shouldn't be doing and uh, wake up the next morning shaking you know needing more alcohol to calm those nerves man and that's how quick it was for me every single time I would get sober for a little while and mental obsession would occur and I would get drunk again and I was right back up and running you know there was no like oh moderate drinking for you know a day or two no it was like I'm back up and running I'm waking up shaking and I'm and I need to take a shot in the morning in order to feel right um you know so after one of these uh 60 day bouts my last relapse you know is when everything came crushing crashing down in my life man i mean not like it hadn't before but this time was uh i don't know what was different from this time than any other time but you know i remember 
within that relapse and getting sober was only about a four-week period. Um, and in that four weeks, I was able to destroy everything in my life. And, you know, I didn't lose custody of my son, but I wasn't able to see my son. Um, I'd gotten fired because I thought it was a great idea to break my hand on purpose so that I can get a cast and not have to go to work anymore. Um, I uh, was so insane from drugs and alcohol that I convinced uh, my son's mom to take him to her mom's house because the cocaine dealer was coming to shoot up our house and he was trying to kill me. And um, Which was funny because I actually asked the cocaine dealer like one of the times I was picking up from him, hey man, you plan on doing this? And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about and take your drugs and go, you know, like I was just in this psychosis, man. And I was so scared that my last week out, I ended up being locked in my mom's room, 29 years old, no lights, just the TV on with whatever's playing and me laying on a bed, you know, just drinking in order to stay alive, man. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know what happened in that week. Thoughts of AA, you know, were coming to me thinking of my dad and you know it was really the whole god idea the whole spiritual aspect that kept me out of the rooms for as long as it did you know and uh something happened in that week where you know the pitiful incomprehensible demoralizing shame of what my life had become and you know it was to the point where i was literally waking up every few hours to take a few shots where i was crawling to the toilet in the morning with so much pain in my stomach throwing up nothing in order to hold down a pint so i could throw that up so i can drink another pint so that i can get something to stay down so i could stop shaking you know in a room all by myself you know um and I remember my mom said something like, you know, hey, it's Easter. For some reason, Easter fell on the, the second or the third that year. I think it was the second, April 2nd. And I was stuck, man. I was, it was stuck in this uh, dilemma in my head. Like, I, I can't go pick him up um, because I'm shaking so bad and so violently, you know. And I can't go pick him up if I drink this fifth in order to stop that because then I'd be too drunk. So, I don't know what happened within me. I, I, I got on the phone. I reached out for help. I had a friend in AA doing what I know today is a 12-step call and came over. And uh, it was kind of like, you know, if you're familiar with Bill's story in the big book, it's kind of exactly the Bill, how Ebby approached Bill. And he was talking about, you know, your own conception of God and all these things, man. And um, I agreed to go to detox. And... Uh, next morning I forgot that I had agreed to go to detox <laughs> and my dad shows up and he's like come on we're going and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about man I didn't agree to that and uh, so I, I rushed throughout my house I did all the drugs on all the all the alcohol that I had and I got in the car and I remember having one last shooter in my pocket and my dad looks at me and is just like go ahead and take it <laughs> you know and I'm like I get to Community Bridges and at that 